Bridge Church, my name is Nate, uh, and we haven't met. I'm the student ministries pastor here at the Bridge Church. We've been in this series for the past for the past few months, uh, looking at what the pandemic has taught us as followers of Jesus. We've been looking at these controversial topics, kind of poking around the cultural shifts that are going on, and and how we as followers of Jesus are to respond. But before we continue that, uh, I'd love to pray for us this morning. God, we thank you that you that you are king, that you sit on the throne in a time such as this. In all time, in all of history, you've been on the throne. So Jesus, we pray that you would come and you would speak to us this morning, that your word, your living word would come and it would fill us, and that for those of us that need to be challenged, that we would be challenged. For those that need comfort this morning, would there be comfort? But most of all, would your Holy Spirit Minister to us this morning as we as we look at your word. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Prior to March 2020, if you were to ask someone, literally anyone, how they were doing, a common response that you would get would be good, but busy, or fill in any word but busy. We were all in the swing of things. We were in that weekly, monthly routine of filling our schedules. We had sports church, friends, commitments, family, and work. All good things in and of themselves, but our lives were full. All of these things filled our weekly lives. We would look at our week ahead and see where we could possibly fit in something else. We'd be shoehorning people into a little slot we would have on a Sunday afternoon. But that is just how our world and our society has functioned. We would feel weird saying no to things. And if we did say no, we'd have to have a pretty good excuse lined up. And so we would say yes to things. And as a result, we would all, or at least most of us, would function at a tired, kind of anxious state at all times. And then, of course, the world stopped spinning for a few months. Things like sports and practices, physically leaving your home to go to work, events, gatherings, all of these things sort of stopped. It was even reported a few weeks into the COVID global shutdown that the canals in Venice in Italy became clean and the locals were actually able to see the bottom of the canals for the very first time, for some of them, in their lives. They were so clear and actually clean to the point where wildlife was actually beginning to re-enter the city and people were finding wildlife in the canals in the middle of the city. All because life slowed, simply slowed down. And now, with our four-step COVID return in motion, and a summer that is beginning to look normal again, our schedules are beginning to fill up. An excitement to be back together is felt. It's on the horizon. And that pace of life that we clung to before COVID is beginning to creep back in. We're going back to once to what was once normal for a lot of us. But what is normal? I don't want to speak for all of you, but my normal is full. My normal is seeing two free back-to-back evenings and filling at least one of them, if not both. It's saying yes to too many things. And while the pandemic has not been an enjoyable uh, experience, to say the least, I felt like the slower pace of life was actually good for my own soul. For the first time in a long time, I was beginning to notice God was speaking 
in a way that I was potentially glossing over before because, because I was simply off to the next thing. And now I can begin to feel myself kind of trickling back into that old way of life. Those old habits are creeping back in. So that's the problem. And I would say it's a problem. I think that the life of hustle and overly tired people with no end in sight is not the way that Jesus has designed, designed us as human beings. That's not God's intention for humanity. So is it possible that the pandemic has taught us that there is a way of life, a pace of life that is actually better for us? And not in a self-help 21st century way of thinking, but in a Christ-centered way of reflecting him to the world. I think so. I think that we can look to the life of Jesus and see a different walk that allows for us to be in step with the Spirit as we love others. If the goal of discipleship is to be with Jesus and model him, I think it would be a good idea to look at his life and see what he has said and how he has acted. So if you have your Bible at home, uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. We'll be looking at Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. And it says this, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. This is one of my favorite passages uh, from the New Testament, but it's also one that I end up coming back to again and again because I struggle to believe it. I struggle to actually experience that easy yoke of Jesus. So in this passage, Jesus is speaking to the crowds. Even just a few verses prior, he has his woes to the cities where he once revealed himself, yet the people were unrepentant. So Jesus, in this moment of sharing this, is in the heat of his ministry. And the passage is actually directed at the religious leaders of the day. The Israelites would have been so heavily burdened by the pursuit of religion, not just by the law of the Old Testament, but because of all these additional laws that were added, that had been created to burden the people. Imagine the moment of thinking you are following this God of the Old Testament that your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents had followed. And you're just trying to stick to the plan. You're trying to stick to the law and you're on this narrow path. But this path just keeps getting harder and harder to follow. There's more and more obstacles that are being added. And so it's becoming more and more challenging to follow this Yahweh character that you've heard a lot about, that you worship, but life doesn't seem easy. I can imagine that the anticipation by these people is that Jesus is going to share more rules and more regulations to ensure that they don't mess up. But the heavy words actually don't come. So that's the scene. And insert Jesus into that moment of history. So verse 28, Jesus has an invitation. And it's an intimate invitation. He says, come to me. And there's so much gentleness in these words by Jesus. And who's it for? Those who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Come to me is a tender call to intimacy with him for all of those who are weary and burdened. Weary evokes the image of someone exhausted from their work or their journey. 
while burdened indicates someone who is weighted down with the heavy loads of life. Those who are tired, fatigued, and exhausted. And they just can't seem to get ahead of this. And the invitation from Jesus at the beginning of this is to simply rest and to find that rest in him. And so we move into verse 29, and the first part of it says, to take my yoke upon you. And so Jesus offers something here, an easy yoke. A yoke in this time was the wooden frame that joined two animals, typically oxen, together to pull a heavy load. So it would attach the two animals together to ensure that they could actually handle the load. This image is used in the Bible to describe kind of like what someone puts on another person, um, like the weight that they put on them. This yoke could also refer to the heavy yoke that was the oral law of the day. As I noted earlier, the law was expanded on. It not only had a written component, but it began to have a spoken element as well. And this spoken element began to grow and grow. So rather than having a written law that the people focused on, there was also an additional oral law where the law was expanded on. And this became not a light and breezy addition of laws, but rather more challenges and more hoops to jump through. And a third way that the yoke could represent, or the yoke is represented, was the oppression that the Israelites were subjected to in the Old Testament. In the book of Lamentations, uh, chapter 5 says this, With a yoke on our necks, we are hard driven. We are weary. We are given no rest. Hear those words. You have a yoke around your neck. There is weariness and there's no rest. I'm sure these words in Matthew are a reflection of what is being said here in Lamentations as well. And so Israel's return from Egyptian captivity is also described as a release from the heavy yoke of service. Leviticus 26 verse 13 says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. All that to say, Jesus provided a different kind of yoke, something that is in deep contrast to the Pharisaic and militaristic burdens of oppression. Jesus offers his own yoke, which is a metaphor for discipleship or a way of life. And this yoke promises rest as opposed to weariness and burden. And that is offered through the simple act of committing to Jesus. As his disciples, we learn directly from him. This yoke of Jesus is light, and it's a way of life that leads to life. But we have to receive that easy invitation from Jesus. To fully experience that easy yoke is to adopt a different way of living. You see, I'm sure I've shared this and a lot of you know this, but I really enjoy mountain biking. Kay and I live at the base of Mount Fromm, so that's been an amazing introduction to life on the North Shore in the last few years. And riding has been one of my favorite ways to get out of my own head and just to spend some time in, in nature. And I would say I'm a decent rider. All the grade nine boys out there are probably like, Nate, you ride in the back and you're kind of the dad of the group. But I would say I'm, I'm progressing. I've been at it now 10, 11 years of my life. And so I think I'm, I'm somewhat progressing, or I'd hope. But then, as I get to the mountain, I see a group of men or women coming to the parking lot with their beautiful uh, Mercedes van that's been renovated. 
uh, and has the bike rack on the back. And this, this lifestyle that they take on where life doesn't revolve around work, life revolves around riding. These vans ensure that they can go from Whistler to the North Shore to wherever it is they want to ride. They live and breathe the sport. And the commitment shows. They are typically faster, smoother, and way more comfortable on a bike than anyone else. Not to over-spiritualize a man on a bicycle, but they almost feel like they are at one with that bike. Just the way that they can just like fly through the forest at crazy speeds. And when I'm up there riding, I often think, I would love to be that good. But while I'm sleeping, or I'm drinking a coffee on the couch in the morning, just reading or whatever it is, they are out riding. When Kay and I are on vacation sitting around a pool or a lake, their vacations revolve around riding, progressing, getting better. I look at what it costs them and the adaptations that they have to make to their life and I think, I think I'm good. I kind of enjoy my life and where it's at. You see, I'm not willing to fully take on the lifestyle of that way to become that type of person, to be that kind of rider. And that's how we often look at the way of Jesus. We are not willing to take on that lifestyle of Jesus because of the cost that it costs. Which brings me to the second part of this verse, of verse 29. Jesus says to let him teach us. You see, when we abide in him, we find rest. When we wait on him and pick up the ways of Jesus, we find rest for our weary souls. To learn from a rabbi is to follow. To follow and study as we pursue what to know, but also, there's also something to be said about physically following the way of Jesus. And so we're going to actually look at an example of how Jesus lived in a certain pace and way of life that allowed him to be truly present to those around him. So again, in your Bible, flip to Luke, chapter, Luke 8, and I'll be reading verses 40 to 48. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she, found, she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this, is, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him, that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So a few things about this story. Notice how Jesus is in the ebb and flows of his life, his ministry, He's in the middle of teaching, and then he's asked by Jairus, a local religious leader, to come and heal his daughter. So Jesus responds in that moment to go and heal his daughter. He's kind of been interrupted, and he's like, okay, let's go do this. And so they're off, and they're heading towards the home of Jairus when the crowd gets big. 
And I can imagine in this moment, any of us here would be like, oh, this is really important. I have somewhere to be. How could there possibly be more traffic in this city? But not Jesus. And then notice what happens next. In the craziness of this moment, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, she would have been an outcast because of her illness, and she would have had no physical contact with any humans for her time in being sick because her touching someone would make them sick as well. So this woman came up behind Jesus and simply touched his cloak, believing that this huge act of faith would heal her to make her well again. And Jesus responds by asking his disciples, who touched him? And the, the response is a little bit cheeky. And they respond like, how would we know? Look at the crowds around you. There's literally so many people. But Jesus knew that someone had touched him. And so the woman came up to Jesus and she's trembling. She falls at his feet, confessing what she has done. And Jesus responds with grace and says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. We're not going to fully walk through this passage verse by verse, but notice how this moment of Jesus' ministry comes at a point where he's already being pulled in another direction. And then he's being pulled in another direction again in this moment while he's already being interrupted. Jesus' life is riddled with moments of interruptions. Take a moment this week or this afternoon and flip through any of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and count and look at how many moments, how many healings, how many interactions and conversations come from a place of Jesus being interrupted. And his response is always grace. In fact, that is where much of his ministry actually comes from. It is said that the true revealing of our character is how we respond to the interruptions of life. How convicting is that? I feel that. The true revealing of our character is how we respond to the interruptions of life. Jesus' way of life allowed him to respond in love and compassion when he was interrupted. And bringing this back to life here on the North Shore, life here in the West in Canada and BC, do we live lives that allow for us to be interrupted by others as we carry the easy yoke of Jesus? Or are our days just so full that we aren't able to because we have just one more thing to get to? John Orberg says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And I wonder what would happen if Jesus' followers on the North Shore slowed down, allowed the easy yoke of Jesus to permeate our lives, and began to create space in our days to encounter Jesus and others. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Easy and light. Are those the words that we associate with our lives? Often when I think of the words that associate to my life, it could be heavy, or tired, hard, worn down. Those are the moments we often, the words we use to describe life in general. Like, oh, we're just too, our lives are too full, I don't feel that easiness. And I don't mean that, except that accepting Jesus into our life, Him as our Savior, as our Rabbi, as our Teacher, is a cure-all for all struggles. I don't think this means that easy and light will just be the rest of our lives. But I think that the Jesus way of life gives us something more substantial to follow. Because hear this. I listened to a commentary this week and it just, I thought it was so beautifully uh, put. 
A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need the least. They need a mattress or vacation, not a yoke. But then listen to this. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, his yoke, will develop us in us a balance and a way of life, of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. Isn't that so beautiful? We can't escape life. We can't simply just wish for the next vacation to come and just run out of gas until we hit that. We need to be able to care, look to Jesus and carry a daily, hourly, weekly yoke. And I think, and Jesus provides that. A way, of light, a way of carrying life that is different. Because here's the thing about being a part of God's kingdom, about being a part of the kingdom of God as followers of Jesus. Every kingdom has for all of history a few markers for what life is like in that kingdom. A kingdom has a king, a ruler, someone we, we look up to and we bow down to. They also have a set of rules and regulations to ensure that there are boundary markers. Now this can be a really good thing, but this can also be a bad thing in a lot of cases. In part of the kingdom of God, it's a great thing. But kingdoms also have a culture, a collective way of being that sets them apart. And I think it would be incredible if Jesus' followers were not only known for what they believe, but for the way that they simply walked through life almost the cadence of their life. And so, yes, a Christian should be known by, by, for having convictions, beliefs, obedience to a king, but they should also be known, they should also be known by the way in which they navigate the rest of their life, how they created time for others, and how they actually steward their time towards God and towards loving their neighbor. How do we do this? If we believe that hurry is a great enemy of spiritual life and we want to be people who can slow down, what is the answer? This is a Sunday school answer, but I would say look to Jesus. Notice his life. Listen to his words and see what he did. Notice how many moments in his life he finishes a day by retreating to a quiet place to be with the Father. His ministry and life is fueled by that by getting away for a quiet moment. So I would say find time to be silent before God in the beginning, in the end, in any moment in your day. When the COVID pandemic was at its peak, I think we had so many more opportunities, some little moments to pray, walk, to find silence. So let's try and be people to fight and get back that time when it really feels like life is ramping up again. Last week, I carved out a bit of time to just pray and look ahead to this summer as there was a lot on the horizon. I was trying to figure out what I should say yes to and then there was a few decisions of like what I should kind of like say no to for the summer. And in the quiet moments, I realized how long it had been since I had given God that sort of long attention. 
I could feel God was trying to really get my attention in the weeks prior. And finally, like, I gave it to him. And he was so, I could just tell he was, like, excited about that. I don't know about many of you, but I'm beginning to notice for myself that I actually really like a full schedule because I sometimes am scared of what God wants to say or do in those times when I finally actually let him speak. There's almost a fear in being quiet and letting your body catch up to your soul. And secondly, Katie and I have practiced Sabbath more or less every week for the last two years. If you're not sure what Sabbath is, Sabbath is like a 24 hours out of your week to just like worship God, but also just to rest and realize that you're not in control of everything in your life. And so we, we set this rhythm into our marriage even before we were married. We knew that both of us worked we're going to be working full-time in ministry. And while it's rewarding, it's also full. So we decided that 24 hours of rest and joy would do us well. And it's been amazing to know that every week we simply hit pause and recognize that we can't do everything. And so we just don't. And that sounds really nice, but it's actually really hard. Because as humans, we want to like hold on to the steering wheel of life. But Sabbath releases our death grip and we just take a step back. And I notice that in those 24 hours, we experience true rest. We just simply do things that bring us joy and bring us rest. It's not a day of legalism. It's a day of just turning off our phones, going on a walk. When it's nice like this, going to the beach, taking a nap, reading, mountain biking, whatever it is that brings us rest and brings us joy. And those weeks when it's full, there's always that moment when you know that Sabbath is actually coming and we can finally hit the brakes. So try it out. Not because it's required, but because I have seen it already help us in so many ways. But in all of this, my prayer is that we all begin to, ex begin to experience the easy yoke of Jesus. These things like Sabbath and silence and solitude and prayer are all things to, ex to bring us to an experience of the grace of Jesus. So Bridge, Bridge Church, let us be people who walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Eugene Peterson paraphrases Matthew 11, 28, 30, and he has this one line that says, let us learn the unforced rhythms of grace. What a powerful image of what life with Jesus is like. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who delights in his people, that you love us, and in that you provide an easy yoke because your heart is gentle towards us. So God, I pray that we would experience that this week, that we would begin to be people who, who, who live at a different pace of life than those around us, that give us opportunity to, to notice and recognize our neighbors, to say yes to things that we would never be able to say yes to, and that most of all, that we would walk in step with you. So we pray these things in your name.